dear chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. Today, we're welcoming Dr. Peter Salerno to the show to chat with us about his book, Fit for Off-Duty, a manual for firefighters healing from work-related trauma, restoring personal relationships, and thriving at home. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you for having me. Hello, Dr. Salerno. Sounds like, <laughs> uh, you know, Dr. Dre Pomore from Days of Our Lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, friends reference, if you guys... You know, the youngins don't know what friends is. I can't help. You're probably on the wrong podcast. Anyways, <laughs> Peter Salerno is a licensed psychotherapist, psychotherapist residing in Southern California. He holds a doctorate and a master's in clinical psychology, which is incredible. He's approved by the International Association of Trauma Professionals as a certified complex clinical trauma professional and family trauma professional certified with the Institute of Advanced Psychological Studies as a psychoanalytical, wait, psychoanalytic psychotherapist and trained in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy and critical incident stress management. Whoa, that's a lot. (laughs) Dr. Salerno believes that people make positive and lasting changes based on the insight gained during the process of psychotherapy. So that is a heavy in- intro. So let's get into it. Um, tell us more about yourself. Okay. Um, I've been a psychotherapist, I think, for about almost a decade now. Uh, I grew up in a firefighter family. So my dad is a fire captain, and my brother is a firefighter and union president for his department. And um, I think actually, so my dad actually became a firefighter when I was eight years old. So um, that was quite a, a shift in our family dynamic. And that's, that has a lot to do with why I got into the work that I'm doing. And um, in hindsight, has a lot to do with why I gravitated towards specializing in trauma. So, so what did your dad do before, if you don't mind me asking? No, I don't. He managed a hardware store. So So what made him change careers? So he was planning on, um, and this was all in Orange County, by the way. So we, we lived in, um, near Huntington beach area and this hardware store that he managed was in Santa Ana. And I think the story I remember is he was planning on taking it over. Um, and then something happened where, um, the family of the owner got involved and then basically laid him off. So he was, uh, he had two kids, a wife, a mortgage, all that stuff. And then it was sort of like, start over, figure it out. Our neighbor was, um, the chief of the Santa Ana fire Academy and said, 
this might be a good route to take. And so he, he actually got hired, I think at the age of 33 or 34. And that's, okay. that's pretty old for a new fire. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so um, how old were you when he got hired? I think I was seven or eight. Yeah. So okay. you went from having dad at home every night to not having dad, not having dad. Yeah. And it was, it was definitely a drastic shift, very noticeable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and then your brother followed in dad's footsteps. Yeah. My older brother became a firefighter. I think when he was 23, he got hired. Um, yeah. And then you went the complete opposite and went to the mental health portion of it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I started out Mm -hmm. uh, going down the firefighter route and I just, I wasn't good at it. (laughs) Um, I didn't like it. I actually halfway through my, uh, my agility, which they called it at the time, I just stopped and was like walking down the tower. And I'm like, I'm going to go read some books. Um, Much more interested in the academic path than, than, um, the firefighter route. So tell us what made you write fit for off duty? Where did that come from? Yeah. Well, so I do a lot of work with first responders. Um, I would say probably half of my private practice is working with, um, firefighters and law enforcement officers. And I started realizing that just them, um, showing up takes a lot and then keeping them uh, had had proven pretty challenging. So what I started to do is um, kind of collect some information on like, well, what would keep them coming back? What could I send them home with? So that, because when you're in therapy, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but you're kind of in a threat response mode. I mean, you're talking to some, it's a new environment. You're talking to somebody you don't know about things that are really important and private. And what happens is we, we tend to lock up. And so even if the session went well, and the therapist said a lot of things that resonate with you, sometimes we forget all that, because if we're in a threat response, our brain is shutting down. And it's not till you go home that you realize, oh, I don't really, I think there was some good things said, uh, but I don't remember what they are. <laughs> um, so I started sending them home with these little pamphlets that I created. And I noticed that would get them to come back. You know, you're back at home, you're in a safer environment and you start really paying attention to this actually might help. And that's pretty much how the book came about. It started off as these, like a little four page pamphlet. I just kept adding to it um, when I would notice what was helpful and to include. Interesting. I never really thought about that when I was in therapy, like homework assignments and a pamphlet that would be really helpful. I think. So that's funny because that's what, I mean, that's one of, so all of my kids are in therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. thanks COVID. Um, but the biggest thing from one one of the therapists in particular is always sends home homework Mm -hmm. and it's pretty cool because every time they come home with a new worksheet or something to work on, or, you know, a, a journal prompt or something. And 
I think it's helpful because, you know, you, you only meet usually once a week or once every other week or once a month, whatever. And it's like, you have to also be kind of keeping the therapy going at home when Mm -hmm. you're not with your therapist. So the homework is really helpful um, because it kind of keeps them like not constantly thinking about their mental health, but making, you know, checking in with themselves to see how they feel about it rather than waiting until, you know, they're back with the therapist. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, so take me back for a second. Take me back to like when dad was going through the academy and dad was gone all the time and stuff. Like where was like your family at like conscious wise? Like did something happen where you were like, you know, I think I want to help firefighters or was it just because, you know, you saw it all from dad and, and then brother going through that stuff? Like where did your gut kind of say, you know what, I want to help these people. I think, um, well, as you know, the nature of, of having a first responder in the family, it just, it, it shifts the dynamic so much because of the schedule and because of the, the trauma exposure and how the behaviors change, um, the ability to connect or relate. I mean, you know, everybody's got their own unique experience of it. I think there are some, some similarities, uh, just with the nature of, of that. But I think I started to notice that, um, you know, arguments increased, irritability increased the way we would relate as a family changed drastically, even, uh, and that, which I mentioned in the book, even vacations weren't enjoyable because, um, now as a, as a mental health professional, I know that when we're in a constant state of, of stress, perceiving threat, you could do the most enjoyable thing in the world. And it, it's scary and you're in self-defense mode. So it's not, it's not fun. Um, so all of the things that seemed to be really, to come really easily in family life just got really difficult. And I, I've always been a pretty intuitive, perceptive person. So I took a lot of that to heart. And I think in my own mind, as a kid was trying to start problem solving, um, mediating, figuring it out. Like, how can I, how can I help? And, um, a lot of that I turned inward, did a lot of self, um, attempts at trying to make sense of it all. And so I think I just became, I guess, by force really good at trying to navigate, mediate counsel, um, Stay with us. We'll be right back. So how do you live a good life, especially now? Is it about happiness, purpose, love, or friendship? And what about health or wealth? Can you live a good life even if you're struggling? The truth is often not what you think. I'm Jonathan Fields, best-selling author and host of the award-winning Good Life Project podcast. Every week, we bring you revealing conversations with some of the smartest, most accomplished, and yes, sometimes famous people that will awaken insight, arm you with practical tips, and inspire you to live your best life no matter what comes your way. Look for Good Life Project on your favorite podcast app today. Yeah. I see a lot of you in my kids. I can mm. kind of sense it a little bit. Like, I think as much as we try to kind of make it as normal for them, there's always kind of that, how's dad going to react to this? Like, 
when we're, you know, when we're out in a big crowd or when we're out on something kind of makes him anxious, they're always looking at him like, all right, is yeah. that okay? You know, how can we get out of this situation? Like, how can I make everybody more comfortable? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, I hate to say it's a natural reaction for fire kids, but and probably for first responder kids, not just fire kids. Um, Cause I can only imagine law enforcement officers and their families in those kind of conditions, I think would be kind of crazy. So mm-hmm. um, it's very relatable as yeah. a fire family, I think. <clears throat> so what do you think, or what are the most important things firefighters can do to restore their personal relationships and really like thrive at home? So something interesting, I'm not sure how, how common this is as far as uh, if it's common knowledge or not, but um, one of the things that gets affected when you're under chronic stress is your, what's called your social engagement system. So it's an aspect, it's a, it's a branch of the nervous system that is compromised um, when you're exposed to trauma uh, over and over and over again. Um, So one of the things to realize about that is it's not just that firefighters or first responders change and they refuse to communicate or they uh, don't want to communicate. Sometimes they're actually immobilized uh, socially. Um, So that shutdown mode is really difficult for families to understand. Um, I'm not saying that that's an excuse. It's more of an explanation, but it can be very confusing when you're trying to you know, relate to somebody and they're just, they're there, but not there kind of a thing. And I think one of the things that firefighters need to know is that that's an actual thing. Um, and that response needs to be interrupted. Um, meaning they need to learn how to self-regulate so that they can connect and then talk about, Hey, I might need to go talk to somebody or I need to talk to you. But access to that vulnerability requires kind of interrupting the threat response that they're constantly in, that the family's in too. I know you were mentioning kids are kind of, your kids are aware um, that hypervigilance that firefighters are trained to be, you know, to work in. I think kids, they don't know what to call that, but they feel that. And so vicariously, they become vigilant too. So everybody in the family is kind of... um, stressed out and yes yeah and so one mm-hmm. of the things that we need to learn how to do is um self-regulate and co-regulate get that social capacity back online um by realizing well we're not in any danger when we're at home you know a lot of this is more physiology than psychology it's kind of like checking in with your with your body your nervous system um remembering to relax um when we're all expecting a threat we're tense right? And we can go all day not even realizing that we're flexing almost every single one of our muscles, even the ones we don't know we have. So self-regulation is extremely important. And that will help us uh, co-regulate better. Yeah, Yeah, that's funny, because my, my sisters and I have this thing where every once in a while, like, you know, every other day, that somebody will send a group text and say, hey, drop your shoulders. And Every time we all are like, oh my God, I didn't realize my shoulders were at my ears, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. You don't even think about it really. So it's, it's, we're kind of all aware, like, 
even if no one says they're stressed or, you know, whatever, you're just automatically like, I mean, it could just be our family. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's actually, uh, it's, it's, that's really cool, by the way, to have a group text where that there's that participation and that um, reminder, because yeah. there's something called sensory motor amnesia, which is basically our muscles are involuntarily contracted mm-hmm. when they're, when they're supposed to be relaxed and the body forgets how to relax them on its own. And that's problematic because um, 21st century trauma treatment is geared towards recognizing that stress is actually a body problem. It's not a thought problem. It's not an emotion problem. So if our body is constantly tense, that's why we're stressed. Right. So. um, Yeah. So it's interesting because when I was, I think it was like, I think it was my senior year of high school. I started getting jaw pain and I'm a dental assistant and my stepfather is a dentist. Um, and so I was like, I think I need a night guard. And so he's like, okay, let's get you a night guard. So he gets me a night guard. Jaw pain's still there. Usually a night guard will start to relieve those issues. Come to find out you can actually cause a TMJ issue just by tensing your jaw without actually biting down. And it's, it's a stress response. Yep. Um, so I can totally relate to that. The body is saying, oh, this muscle that you don't know that you can even, you know, have tense without physically doing something is tense all the time. And so, yeah, I, that's a perfect example of that. Like if your jaw hurts and you're not grinding your teeth, you're clenching your jaw without actually closing your mouth. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before, right? Like, so during the very beginning of COVID everybody, all of a sudden, when the dentist started opening back up, everybody was getting mouth guards because all of a sudden everyone's grinding their teeth. Everybody has, you know, TMJ symptoms. Well, yeah, it was a major stress, stressful situation. Right. So yeah, chills totally like all of these symptoms are these are body symptoms of your stress. And yeah, it, it's funny. Cause I actually got a mouth guard and I was like, this does not help. This is not, yeah. I can't even no. So I don't, I don't wear it, but guess, guess what? So I also maybe don't have that anymore in your, uh, in your group text, relax your jaw. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We do the, like, pull your ears down. Like mm-hmm. we do all the things. Cause we carry, oh, like my sisters and I'll carry the stress, like in our top half of our body. So that's funny. Okay. So we're restoring our body. Talk to us and walk us through the EMDR process because it's so fascinating to me. And a lot of people are starting to hear about it. And we've talked about it a few times on um, podcasts before, but I want to hear like you're like a full walk me through the process and tell, tell us about it for a first time patient. Okay, cool. Yeah. So EMDR, um, started originally, I think the, the, the founder of it, um, she was, uh, I think she was battling cancer and she went somewhere to, I think she's like in the woods or somewhere to kind of take a walk and started moving her eyes left to right. Like in, I think involuntarily, or it was sort of random. And she noticed that she started getting desensitized to what she was thinking about. And so they started doing a lot of research on what happens during REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, um, 
when we're in that stage of sleep, our eyes are literally moving left to right rapidly um, to consolidate, process memories and information from the day. Trauma memories are stuck um, in a network in the brain, let's say, where they can't get processed the way all the other stuff that we digest in our sleep uh, gets you know, processed. So EMDR is basically this way to um, sort of hack the nervous system and do a tactical technique that convinces the brain that it can process and digest a traumatic memory um, to move it from the, um, like the inbox to the archive file is the way I like to tell people so that it's history. It's no longer something that's coming up as a, a flashback or a, uh, a nightmare or, you know, when we have flashbacks or nightmares, what's really happening is our brain is trying to um, like consolidate that and, and resolve the issue. It's bringing it back up so that we, we can digest it but it gets stuck when it come, when it's uh, based on trauma. So if you were to do EMDR therapy, basically what you do is um, you pick a memory or an event or a theme or something that isn't fully resolved, something that's past, but still present. And you desensitize it by the technique of bilateral stimulation, which is, um, intentionally moving the eyes, either following, um, uh, in the, originally there was a light bar that you would follow with your eyes. Um, some therapists use their hand, move it back and forth. Other therapists use a machine. That's like a pulsator that you hold in either one of your hands and sends that bilateral, um, stimulation. And basically the theory, the idea behind it is that that decreases the sensitivity to the memory. And it's sort of a conscious way of doing what we would normally do unconsciously in our sleep. And you can get the memory all the way down to like, let's say if we're using like a, a disturbance scale of like zero to 10 repetition of that technique, um, can get the memory all the way down to a zero. So it's just no longer intruding on your present, your present life. It's, it's become history. And it's very successful from wildly successful from what I understand. There's been, I think we've had a few success stories, um, just on this podcast. So yeah, it's in very intriguing. Um, so my understanding is that like, it makes it, oh yeah, that thing happened and it doesn't affect me kind of anymore. I know that it happened, but it's not an emotional response that I keep on having to have exactly. or a stress response. Yeah. And the so good, is it, the, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. Um, is it something that you have to continuously do or once you've kind of achieved the zero, does it stay zero? Well, that's what I was going to say, actually. Okay. So the, um, the treatment is typically short-term, which is very mm -hmm. good news. Um, and once a memory is desensitized and really like we're going back to stress, what we're doing is we're desensitizing the response to it in the nervous system. Once it's desensitized, uh, it's desensitized for good. If it was successfully done, we actually vet that we, we go in. So like if, 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 a if anybody, not just first responders, but if anybody comes to 
to do EMDR therapy, um, if they, if we do a check-in and it, it's a zero, what we would do is the following session, we would intentionally try to activate it again to test if it really was stays a zero um, on the disturbance scale. And so the goal is I can bring this up intentionally, try to focus on it, and I'm still not getting a physiological response to it. That's how you know that it actually um, is successful. Yeah. yeah, that is brilliant. Wow. That is amazing. And so this is extremely helpful for like PTSD, PTSI. Mm-hmm. Um, it's extremely helpful for first responders. It works really well with uh, like what are considered single incident traumas. Mm-hmm. So like a specific call that a first responder went on that for whatever reason, the way that information entered their system, that one is just uh, overwhelming the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And it also works well for um, complex or cumulative trauma, which you know may have started in childhood or um, may have been something that's ongoing that wasn't just a single event. Which as we know, most of these first responders have some kind of childhood trauma. That's why they are first responders. I'm, I'm interested in your opinion on that, actually, since we're on the subject, mm-hmm. let's, let's get into that a little bit more. Um, Cause I think it bears repeating no matter we've talked about it before or not. Would you agree with that statement that most first responders get into this because of some past childhood trauma? Yeah. Well, I'll give my opinion. Um, yes, that's why I said your opinion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think even speaking from my own experience, I got into the helping professions because of what started off as a, a rescue fantasy. Let's say I'm a kid. I'm trying to save, save the day, make my family happy. And you sort of then channel that energy into a profession when you grow up. So, um, yeah, I think first responders, uh, you know, even nurses, I think there's this desire to try to make things right, to make things better, to heal. And typically, um, why do we need to heal? Well, if we were exposed to something that requires healing, you know, so I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's random or coincidental. I think if you ask a lot of first responders, they'll say, well, I did it for the schedule or I did it for the pension or I did it for the, um, excitement, um, but I think, I think the majority of them, if they were to investigate, would probably say this, there's this heroic aspect of this need to help because I needed a hero myself and now I'm, I am one. So. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Callie. I'm Barb. And, and we, we are the Clarity Sisters. Sisters. Come join us in our safe space to take a little break, get some perspective, to make life more fun. Come join us as we chat through navigating prickly relationships, learning to trust your intuition, and why self-care is not selfish. So grab yourself a little cup of clarity and a few giggles as we hang out, chit-chat, and laugh on the Clarity Cafe podcast. That was going to be my question. My follow-up question was going to be, do you think they're aware of their need to be a hero or needing a hero themselves. Um, And how do you think that that 
affects them long-term um, when they are sustained. I mean, it's sustainable trauma, trauma over time, mm-hmm. you know, critical incidents happen all the time. It's a, it's just part of the job. Yeah. Um, how do you think that a, a first responder would fare if they didn't have some trauma that they were dealing with from the past versus a, a person who did how, what, what do you think the difference is? I've actually worked with uh, a few who, um, you know, they came from a family of like, uh, that historically went into like business or something like that. And they just decided, um, which is a legitimate reason. They just decided after maybe watching a show or a movie or having a friend that they were just going to take a completely different career uh, path. And they grew up in a, for the most part, secure, securely attached family that, um, were attuned to each other. There was no, um, external events that, uh, caused them to, um, experience any challenges in that regard. And then they just get bombarded with this exposure of this world that most of us don't really know exists, um, unless we know somebody or we do it ourselves. And it's shocking, you know, it's jarring. So I've worked with a couple of, uh, a couple of actually law enforcement officers that have told me they didn't have no clue what they were getting themselves into and their, their bubble was burst basically. And that's fascinating. So it's like the opposite because Mm -hmm. they have no like relation to it. And they're really probably going into it for the pension or for the schedule. (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm curious if that's the difference between someone who ends up with PTSD from the job versus not. I mean, I know that's fascinating. You know, fast inquiry minds want to know curiosity Mm -hmm. killed the cat. Like I'm, I'd be interested to see a study on that. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like, uh, Alex, um, just wow. Yeah. So from your, like, do you go into it with past trauma better off because you're hyper aware of what's really in the real world or does it i mean i guess it, it really depends on the person right that's is just, that it, my question is is that the difference between the guy that goes on the call and is affected by it versus the guy that's just like oh it's just another day of the job mm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think there's there's an element of of uh familiarity maybe desensitization when you grown up in a war zone let's say yeah um, versus it just being the first time that you've experienced this stuff it's uh you know um it's I, I work with some i work with combat veterans too and they start looking forward to their tours versus dreading them because um they know how to operate in that environment but the first one is you know, if you're going, again, if you're going into it without any previous experience, it's, it's a shock to the system mm-hmm. that, that eventually just becomes something that, you know, how to, you condition yourself, uh, how to tolerate it. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, cause I'm even in the training aspect, you know, I'll, like, I guess that's kind of the, the make or break point, right. Is like, if you can't get through the Academy. Yeah. Um, I mentioned this in my book, there's no training that I'm aware of that teaches you how to regulate the nervous system. 
they just kind of throw you in and expect you to uh, mm. suck it up. Um, mm. There's a little bit of my book where I get not aggressive, but a, a bit confrontational about supervisory roles that aren't, they're not taking care of their own. People are, um, you know, having stress-induced heart attacks, strokes, committing suicide. These are real things that are happening because their, their system is so hijacked that it's, it's a solution to the problem. It's like, it's a release valve. Um, so it's really important to teach them, like, you don't have to quit your job. Like you don't have to go find another job in order to be healthy, but you do need to know how to regulate yourself. If you're going to continue doing it, you can become cautious versus vigilant, right? You can become regulated versus, um, and, and aware versus like hyper aware and scared or, um, reactive. You can be responsive. So I know of at least one department that has that going on in Academy right now. Um, and it's, I don't know how successful it is because they started the program like two years ago. So of course we're not going to see data coming out from that for quite some time, but, um, I will say that there is at least something for at least one department in California. Um, and I think that the Iverson foundation is working with that as well, which is really cool because they're learning, you know, they're getting yoga and resilience and music therapy and all the things and really learning how to regulate their, their system, which to me is fantastic. I mean, even an hour worth of training is better than none at all. Absolutely. So yeah, hundred percent. That's great to hear. I'm hoping the trend is going to be shifting, you know, in that direction, because um, one thing, one thing about COVID is it did, there were no, um, there were no commercials or advertisements about mental health until COVID. I don't know if you noticed that, like you watch, there's like 50 million different online uh, platforms where you can get therapy. Now yep. um, there's mm-hmm. celebrities endorsing some of those. So that, I don't remember seeing those before, before COVID. Um, no. And no, so I, I, there's some awareness now. And I think even in, in, uh, in the helping professions, uh, for, for first responders, I think there's more awareness that, um, it's just a good idea to take care of yourself in that way versus it just being a a stigma, you know? I, yeah. I mean, I think there's still quite a bit of stigma surrounding it, but I think at some point, if we continue down this path of advertisements and celebrities endorsing it and being able to pull up, you know, my phone and there's a mental health app that I can, get on here and be totally anonymous. I think that it's going to be cool to go to therapy versus not cool to go to therapy. So -hmm. eventually the stigma is going to change. Like, you know, you're, you're this hard ass person that doesn't ever feel anything. Isn't cool versus, Oh, Mm -hmm. Hey, you actually have feelings and you're getting help for that. That's cool too. So yeah. Yeah. I think I, that's, that's my dream at least. And I think that that's Audra shares that um, podcast is kind of about like, Mm -hmm kind of a little bit, um, you know, just making everybody has that shared experience. Like we all have stuff that bothers us and it's okay to talk about it, you know? So. And like learning how to regulate yourself is, Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine people knew how to do that. Like, 
Yes. Well, you, you would respond rather than react is basically what would happen. I think yes. too, therapy itself has, has, has shifted in, um, uh, there's a lot of uh, myths about it still in popular culture. There's a lot of misinformation and uh, the good news is you don't have to, I mean, if you want to, you can, but you don't have to spend two or three years talking to somebody. If you don't want to, you can do a couple of sessions to get rid of the trauma. Um, and I think that that's much more appealing um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's how I like to do therapy. I'm here to fix a problem. Let's fix it. Get me off this couch. I want some actionable things that I can work on at home. And I don't want to be here for, you know, two years of my life. Like I want, I want in and out. That's it. You know? And I think that it's, I've had therapists that have been successful with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that really is like an individualized thing. Um, some people want to come to therapy every day. That's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's fine. That's fine too. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it is shifting the, the, the whole culture is shifting, which is really encouraging to see. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. At least one good thing came out of COVID, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, we're still in this, right? <laughs> Every day I wake up like, I, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about some fun stuff. Um, we're gonna put you on the hot seat. I hope you're ready. Yeah. It's I'm ready. Just a bunch of fun questions. Just get to know you a little bit better. Um, and kind of lighten the mood at the end of the podcast. So nice. All right, here we go. What's your go-to song on karaoke night? Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of the last time I sang karaoke. Um, well, I'm impressed a shower song, but a song that you sing in the shower that nobody else hears. Um, I'm trying to blank on the name of it right now. Hang on, let me look at my playlist. I'm not dodging the question. I mean, is it a is it a too short? Like, <laughs> no, it's um. Oh come on, let's be honest. This journey, it's got to be a journey song. Ooh, don't stop believing. Definitely is a good karaoke song. Okay, so um. You make my dreams come true. Hall and Oates. I love I that love song. Hall and Oates. Oh, that's a fun song to sing. That's a good song. That's a good solid karaoke song. Yeah, that's a good answer for sure. Okay, <laughs> here's the make or break it question. What or how do you like your eggs? Scrambled. <sighs> yes. Oh. You can be friends with Audra. <laughs> <laughs> Scrambled eggs for the win. Audra doesn't okay. like runny eggs. So no, that's always eggs. the question. I'll, hit, I'll take my eggs any way you make them because I just love eggs. But okay. Audra's like, I seriously have to question your scruples if you like runny eggs. Like, <laughs> There's no runny eggs in my house. Okay. <laughs> Not on my plate. <laughs> and what's your opinion of pickles? What's my opinion of pickles? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I love them. Oh, man. All right. Now you're friends with Chelsea. <laughs> so he's not going to be putting pickles in his scrambled eggs. No. But no, I but think I he'll probably eat pickles. What kind, what's your favorite kind of pickle? Um, well, I actually like, 
I like those pickles that are like in a bag that are like hot and sour. Ugh. Are you are you secretly from New York? No. <laughs> California native. That seems very unHuntington of you. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know where you can find a pickle in a bag down in Huntington. I oh, was. There. Oh, you can get them at this grocery store. Really? Yeah. 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 All right. Next time we go to Huntington, I'm finding. Well, I'm not going to eat them. So who am I kidding? The kids eat them though. Okay. I was like super pumped to go to New York because you can go to a deli get your sandwich and a bucket of pickles. Like, yes, oh. I remember the kids and my husband everywhere had to have a pickle. It's like, Oh my God. Oh, so you're the only one who doesn't like them. Your family likes them. My family likes them. I do not like pickles. I will eat pickle relish if it's in like potato salad, but that's it. Mm-mm. Or like in the in and out sauce because that's the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know what okay. I'm. I know what I'm going to be sending you for uh, Christmas or Mother's Day. <laughs> Mother's Day. Your Mother's Day present is a pickle. I love that. Oh my god. Oh god. That's probably. I mean, that, that's about the like my what my kids will give me. A jar oh, of pickles. Don't encourage D. Like he's going to listen to this and be like, "You're totally getting pickles for Mother's Day." <laughs> oh my god. Oh, he's working. I'm getting nothing from Mother's Day. Okay. Oh, I think we're in the same boat on that, but that's okay. Okay. So you're very busy. You have a very busy private practice. What do you like to do in your free time? Free time. Um, Let's see. Eats pickles and paper. (laughs) Basically eat pickles, write books. No, Um, (laughs) no, I am a musician. So I like playing guitar. Um, I like going hiking. I like being outside. I love going to the beach. Um, I have a puppy. So now I'm training him to become like a beach type of dog. I actually just got back from uh, Pismo Beach, or I think it was Avala. My favorite. um, We were at Avala Beach, and there's like a dog park that's completely like deserted. So my dog was just having a blast all by himself running up and down the the beach was great oh my gosh i love avala so much yeah it's gorgeous yeah it's beautiful it's beautiful and it's like if you go to avala it's got that nice little curve so you don't get all the fog like pismo does oh it's just magical i love there so much my gosh i don't know what's wrong with you guys i love fog i live in fog and people complain about it all the time i'm like seriously i love the fog I don't mind the fog. My hair does not like the fog. No, my hair doesn't like it either, but I just, you know, I've just resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to be constantly frizzy. Like this is where Mm -hmm. I live. So there's nothing I can do about it. Might as well just get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) But dude, the Uh, dog beaches are the best. Oh my gosh. It makes me so happy to watch the dogs just running around. Yeah. Yeah. We have one uh, here locally that people go down to and it's fun to watch them just run wild. Best day ever for the dog. Um, okay. So last question. And yeah. So besides your own book, what's the best self-help book you've read? That's a great question. I have a great answer um, because a lot of my book is, um, well, I can, first of all, I want to brag about my book because I didn't make any of it up. You know, I just collected and combined really amazing resources. So I'm not claiming that I originated any of it. Um, 
but there is um, there is a guy named Dr. Eric Gentry who has a book called Forward Facing Freedom. Forward Facing Freedom focuses more on post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress disorder, which mm-hmm. I think is wonderful because it's very empowering. Um, it's less, uh, you know, labeling. And um, he actually has done great work with very short term. He's done a lot of work with first responders too. So forward facing freedom talks about how to interrupt that threat response. We've been talking about um, through muscle relaxation techniques, self-regulation techniques. And the goal is for you to implement it on your own. So you can be in control of your own, your own life, you know, your own mind and body. Um, So I would recommend forward facing freedom as a, another really good resource. Um, If you like to read and you're really into like dense long-term reading, uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. Uh, yeah, that uh, let's very talk popular about how dense podcast. long-term reading that really is because Audra <laughs> and I actually bought it at the beginning of this year and neither one of us have gotten past like the fourth chapter on it because it's Seriously. just a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Not because it's not intriguing. Oh yeah, it's fascinating. Brilliant. It's just, I feel I look at the page and I get overwhelmed because there's just so many words on it and I'm a pretty Mm -hmm. strong reader. So Mm -hmm. yes, that is a wonderful book, but you're right. Long-term slow reading. So my book, my book is um, very large print. I love it. It's less than a hundred, it's less than a hundred pages. Some people have been calling it like a a 40 minute book. You can basically read it in one sitting. Um, That's the best kind. And practical. I like practical information. I, and there's a version of it for police officers too, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. I thought I like, I actually looked it up yesterday on Amazon to see if I could get some more like backstory on it. Um, and there is a version for police officers, which I think is intriguing too. Maybe we'll have you back on the show to talk about that later, but, um, okay. So we've got forward facing freedom and body keeps the score. What are you currently reading? I am currently reading, where is it? Oh. Hopefully it's fiction or something relaxing. Nope. <laughs> it's called, um, it's actually this book from the sixties. It's called Psycho-Cybernetics. Um, actually the guy, you've heard it takes 21 days to make or break a habit. That came yeah. from that book, Psycho-Cybernetics. I think it was published in like 1960. Um, wow. I don't, I don't think he actually says that in the book, but that's, that's like the source people usually cite when they, when they say that. So wait, um, one more time. What is it called? Psycho cybernetics. Psycho cybernetics. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Okay. I might actually have to pick that one up. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by all that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I will get through body keeps the score, but it's just a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it is really overwhelming. I got the audio version and I'm still just like, oh, okay. This is a lot to take in. And there's gotta be some psychological reason why I can't listen to audio. It puts me to sleep. Like I love to read, but I can't, like, I won't even listen to podcasts because within the five, first five minutes I'm out. What about when you're walking? Do you, do you listen to it when, no, no, it makes me sleepy. I don't want to go for the walk anymore. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, that's like that. My prime time is when I'm walking. I've always had the same thing with like sports announcers. 
like, I love watching football, but I can't listen to them drone on and talk. Like I have to turn, I have to mute it. Like I can't, it puts me to sleep. Huh? It's weird. Yeah. So if I don't listen to your podcast, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's not personal. (laughs) Well, that's actually pretty cool that you know how to get yourself to sleep. Oh yeah. During the (laughs) pandemic, Audra and I both, we'd wake up at like two o'clock in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep. And I discovered Z-Dog. I don't know if you follow him at all, but he's a doctor in San Francisco that um, he's a pediatrician in San Francisco, actually. Um, And he has he has an online following. He has a YouTube channel and I think he may have a podcast, but um, he was doing a lot of talking about, you know, pandemic and mandates and all the things during that time. And I literally like I'd want to listen to what he was saying but he put me to sleep. So he, it ended up becoming my way of putting myself to sleep when I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't understand it, but that's fine. <laughs> get back to sleep. So that's all that matters really. <laughs> right. It does. Right. Oh so, so yeah, I, yeah, I think I'm not going to be able to do the audiobook on that, but I'll get through it. I promise. Yeah, for sure. If you can't read it, the audio will not be not be the jam for you all right dr salerno thank you so much for being with us today we seriously have learned so much i'm like now i'm like i want to try this emdr stuff on my husband because it's so fascinating um so speaking of that if you want to learn more about dr salerno you can find him on his website at dr peter salerno Dot com and on Instagram at Dr. Peter Salerno dot not dot <laughs> just Dr. Peter Salerno. <laughs> that's a period. And that's my script. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and we will have links in the show notes to his book and we would highly recommend reading it. If you're a first responder of any kind, if you enjoyed the show today and would like to help us reach more first responders and their families, please share this episode with a friend and consider leaving us a positive review on Apple podcasts or wherever you tune into our show. See you next time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in. Find us on social media at Dear Chiefs Podcast and online at dearchiefs.com. Tune in weekly for the 25,000 foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 